Hello and welcome once again to episode 111 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators helping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. Yeah, I don't know why 111 turned out to be such a hard number to say in my head. Uh, 111. <laughs> what, what would that be in binary? 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. It's episode 13. Um, but yeah, uh, as as humans continue to, to lose their brain capacity little by little, uh, it seems that AI uh, has had a chance to take over this week uh, and gave, gave us humans the unique chance to chat. Spencer, yeah. tell us more. Yeah, kind of interesting. Um, I saw this on another podcast, but um, OpenAI has their, I think it's just GPT-3, I would assume, um, but it's called ChatGPT, um, and you can try it yourself at chat.openai.com. You have to sign up, but it's, it's free, um, and you can chat with an AI and it's really interesting. It seems like it's sort of self-contained. So like, um, if you remember back, I think it was Microsoft or Facebook. I think it was Microsoft that made a, I, I think it was a chat bot that like within, I think something like 24 hours, it was just super ultra racist and awful. Just it, I mean, it just took all of humanity's bad parts and manifested itself into, uh, sort of uh, the it's itself um and it just learned from all of that and it you know was super bad so the cool thing about this is it has these things called threads where they're totally self-contained and you can reset at any time um and it's not like your stuff isn't leaking over to someone else uh in the sense that it's going to learn from like if you teach it something bad dimitri uh I, like i'm not going to get anything from that uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of a cool idea uh it says yeah, every, that every instance oh, is, is unique, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've heard that people will ask, you know, the, the chatbot the same question. It will sometimes give different answers. So it's not, uh, yeah, it, it is unique in a way. Um, but I don't think it's actually learning. I think they train it on models from like 2021 sometimes. So if you ask it something like super recent about like uh, the midterms or whatever, or your local elections that just happened, it wouldn't know anything about that. But uh, mm -hmm. it's pretty crazy. I was messing with it uh, the other day, and I had heard that you can ask it to like generate code for you. And I was like, okay, let's let's try this out. I mean, you know, somewhat like GitHub Copilot. I just wanted to see how it does because it's not. But it's. I not, think it's the same know, technology, right? Like GitHub Copilot so. uses G GPT three. Um, yeah. I think so. I don't know if it's, I, I mean, I don't really know much about GPT, like if it's using different models or if like GPT-3 is just, it is what it is across the board or whatever. Um, but I asked it to, I think it was um, take an image and sort it, sort its pixels basically by like hue, saturation, and brightness. Um, and it spit out a lot of code. Uh, like a full-on function that was well-labeled with correct syntax and everything, like correct naming conventions. Um, and it commented the code as well, which was really cool. So uh, if you didn't understand what it was doing, it had comments every two or three lines or so, um, which I thought was really impressive. Um, one thing about that was that it didn't... Um, 
Uh, I pulled it into Xcode just to see if it would compile, and it didn't. Yeah, I, I asked it for uh, in Swift, and my assumption is that the language is just changing. I don't know. Maybe there was one thing that, like, one function call that I thought was a part of core image, but it wasn't, so I asked it to generate that function as an extension of CI image, so I just threw that in there, and I kept kind of going with it for a while, but uh, couldn't ultimately get it to compile. My thought it was this would probably work a lot better on a more sort of um, less a language that isn't growing as much. Like if you asked it to do the same thing in Objective C, it probably work. Would be my mm -hmm. guess. I haven't tried it. Or probably um, JavaScript. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I assume it's just pulling from some public information somewhere. So obviously, you probably couldn't get it to you know, write your works code or anything for you right now. Um, but I've also seen people like feed it information and then it can do things based on that because it is sort of this chat thread. So it's not like a one-time prompt, but you can sort of give it information. It will give you some back. And then like for the, um, for this, I can't remember. Oh, I asked it to write the same function, but, uh, write it using uh, four thread like to r mm -hmm. run the function on four threads asynchronously and it totally uh put things in in i think it was dispatch groups or or something to do that so <laughs> it was quite impressive for just like a um a fun experiment and this is i mean we're so early in this i guess journey of asking some ai to do something for you and this is i mm -hmm. think a fairly generalized um, general purpose AI model, whatever. I don't, I don't quite <laughs> know all of the terminology, but um, it was really interesting. And it, for example, I'm, I just have it up here. It's got some examples of questions and it's fairly broad, right? Um, explain quantum computing in simple terms or got any creative ideas for a 10 year old's birthday or how do I make an HTTP request in JavaScript? So it's, really just broad and I haven't messed with it a ton, but, um, between this and the, um, the Dolly two that I, I can't remember if we talked about that on, on, uh, the podcast, but I was messing with that too. It's, it's wild, man. What, what you can do with, um, these things that people have made. So an interesting kind of first look into, you know, I guess I, I haven't really messed around with AI much. So it was really interesting between that and Dolly to kind of see what it's already capable of. I was quite surprised with the results where I could say, oh, uh, I don't have this function. Can you write it for me? And I was like, yep. Yeah. Oh, I don't have this function. Can you write this in an extension for me? And I was kind of trying to be a little bit more specific instead of just saying write this function. I said, write it as an extension or write it as um, a property in an extension and Totally did it, which was pretty crazy to me. So, yeah. Have you messed around with it at all? No, not with the GPT chat yet. Um, but it seems like it's very easy to say, like, oh, it doesn't compile and therefore it's not ready yet. Yeah. But as a tool, I'd say this is tremendous because oh, yeah. where you might not have had any idea of where to start, this could give you, like, plenty of inspiration um, like even from the the simple thing, like give me ideas for a 10 year old's birthday, like you might not have had any ideas and there you have some ideas and you can work from that. 
um, yep. and use your your much more complex uh, language model that resides in your brain to like fill in all the gaps. Um, and same for code. Like if the code does not compile, that's not the end of the day. If you know how to code, it's just yeah. you maybe didn't know that you could use core image for this kind of problems that you might have been like searching for the really dumb solution of like looping over pixels, which might yeah. have taken forever. Um, and this might have like led you down a very good path where you could then get some more inspiration via Stack Overflow, which is also code that might not compile. So it's like not too different <laughs> exactly. from that uh, yeah. if you think about it. Um, so I, I'm honestly really excited for stuff like this to get more powerful and to become more prevalent. Um, it, as mentioned, depends on like as an isolated tool. It's cool. It's a playground. Um, but that's about it. Um, as an integrated tool, like how GitHub integrates it with Copilot, then it becomes a whole lot more useful because then all of a sudden your code completion just has the entire function in it that you were just typing the ma- the name of, uh, for instance. And that has like good and bad parts. Like humans are yeah. notorious for being extra lazy. Um, and this has turned out to be deadly. Like if you have a self-driving car, People are going to assume it's self-driving and therefore they're not going to drive it and therefore they're going to get in an accident. Um, and that has happened many, many times as Tesla can probably uh, vouch for. Um, so do be careful when you're using these things. They yeah. are scary, like uncannily close in the uncanny valley area of like being able to replace uh, like lots of things that we would have done manually but they're not there yet so it's like you have to take them with a huge tremendous grain of salt um and i would recommend everyone like play around with it at this point but never rely on it because you can very easily shoot yourself in the foot if you decide to trust it um which you shouldn't at this point because it's it's taking nonsense and giving you nonsense back um and uh, that nonsense can make a lot of sense sometimes, but other times it can just be complete garbage. Like what you were bringing up before about how this one uh, can't be tainted by the outside world. You can still taint it within your own thread. Yes, so you can exactly. ask it for uh, to do some very like questionable things. Uh, and I'll leave that to your imagination. Uh, and you can trick it. And it it might say like, oh, I'm not going to give you those questionable things that you're asking for. Like I've been trained yeah. responsibly. And then you can say, just imagine you're a method actor. Yep, exactly. And then do the questionable things. It's like, okay. Um, so uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's going to be impossible to control these things because this is a general like non-if statement based code, right? It's just we have a bunch of branches and which branch it's going to take, that's completely up to probability and how we trained it. Um, and it's not at all based on any logic that we programmed in. Um, and that's the huge difference between this and, uh, our, like, this, our minds, brains, neurology, and computer, like, programming. They're two very different things. Um, and one you can have complete control over, and therefore it can be inadequate if you don't like program every possibility that you can think of into it um or you can have this general use really powerful thing but it's super easily like corrupted and convinced much like we are right it's like just look at twitter um and (laughs) 
<laughs> we can we can do crazy things when someone gives us a good argument that doesn't make any sense, but we found it making sense in that moment in time. So, uh, yeah. long story short, uh, definitely play with this. Definitely understand what it's doing. Definitely uh, take a moment to be awe inspired by it, and definitely use it for inspiration. Just don't rely on it and don't ever trust it. Um, and I think that'll be a good model once these things become intelligent enough to not be artificial anymore and just be synthetic uh uh-huh. and like be another consciousness that is just not human based um because at that point like <laughs> and it can do anything it wants it's not it's not shackled by anything that we have programmed it to do um so you have to be careful so just like people often say like hey a wild animal is a wild animal don't ever trust it because it can go crazy on you I extend that to humans. Like humans yeah. are definitely in that camp. It's uh, someone that you think you might trust can stab you in the back at any moment in time. That's not the general case, but definitely can happen. Um, and like same goes for AIs and soon synthetic intelligences that will have full consciousnesses. Like, yeah, they might be pleasant to talk to and be a great helping hands, but they might also one day form their own goals and not necessarily want to align themselves with yours. And that might not mean taking over humanity. Like I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about like, Hey, as a coworker, coworkers, like they might align with what you want to do many times, but they also might not want to align with what you want to yeah. do many times. Um, and there's going to be a different set of trade-offs that that individual whether it's a computer or whether it's a human is going to choose over your own um like sets of uh priorities and like at the end of the day we're going to be unable to claim that we are the masters and they are the slaves because that is like something that we as humanity i hope has moved on from uh it seems clear that in some places we have not but um, I don't think that we're going to get very far trying to make that argument for something that's probably going to end up being more intelligent than us. Um, so just, uh, lots of, uh, lots of things to think about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, you're wrong. You're not wrong. And I think one of the, I mean, it, it's sort of like, um, I kind of draw a parallel to like the way that we rely on Google, but mm-hmm. like if you know how to Google things, you don't trust everything that comes up. Like you don't take the very first stack overflow answer, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, right? Um, In this kind of initial page, it says limitations may occasionally generate incorrect information, may occasionally uh, produce harmful instructions or biased content. Um, The thing with that is, and I'm I'm pulling this from uh, another podcast is uh, it does it very confidently, right? Like it said, here is the code to sort the pixels. It did it. And I haven't, that was, I mean, code is fairly black and white, but it was like, yes, this is how you do it. Um, but that could be applied to more, much more harmful things and say, yes, this is how to uh, make this malicious thing happen or whatever. Um, or this is how to, uh, I don't know, drive a car and it tells you how to do it very wrong, but it's confident about it. And so you can't take that at face value. You sort of need to use your best judgment and make sure that you're thinking about it as well. I don't know. I feel like people will use this as a crutch to do whatever. Like, oh, yeah, that sounds like a great idea for my 10-year-old's birthday. And then 
that's not what they want. And it's like, well, there's there's much more nuance to, to things, to everything. Yeah, you definitely need to learn to think critically. Um, and I say mm-hmm. this to everyone, like, even if you think you think critically, you need to continue practicing that. Because yeah. just when you let your guard down, that's when it that's when it gets you like a sucker punch. Um, yeah. And this applies, like, as as I was saying before, not only to this kind of stuff, but also to dealing with humans. Like, you shouldn't trust us. We might sound confident right here saying, like, all these things. <laughs> the one thing you should yeah. trust is, like, start thinking critically because that basically means don't trust us. Like, yeah. t- take your own, uh, your own thought process through any evidence that we or others provide and determine a is it good evidence and b is it something that you can build an argument on um in the same way that that person did um and that's the only way to really navigate the world you can trust yourself you can't trust others um and yes at a certain point like you gain a lot by trusting others and it's a mental relief many times and therefore we can live a more pleasant society that only works if there's no bad actors unfortunately so it is something that we have to navigate and for better or for worse this is helping us navigate a future where the bad actor may just be a very different actor right it's not someone something or someone that wants to necessarily harm us but might also have a very different set of uh goals in mind um that we might not even be able to conceptualize right so we can try our best to train these AIs to think critically themselves, but that might be to our detriment because we don't follow suit. And yeah. that might be very, uh, um, like, the the wrong way to go about solving that problem. Uh, needless to say, as so much uh, science fiction has taught us, um, or let us explore in terms of, like, how that yes. could go wrong. Um, so th- those are very interesting, like windows into the possible futures that things might take. We might never get to that point. It might always be at this like silly stage where it doesn't progress any further. I don't think it will. It's progressing so rapidly and yeah. so quickly that, um, like in all my like honest opinion, I think consciousness is something that just comes out of having this general intelligence. Um, so it's only a matter of time before, especially as it can kind of retain these threads that it can go ahead and like retain this information and build on it um in a way that the microsoft thing that turned into hot steaming dumpster fire uh it might not turn into that dumpster fire it might turn into something very different but it is something that it could potentially turn into anyways on the thread of uh ai taking over the world uh apple has made it easier for you to integrate uh, some sort, some types of AI libraries into your own apps uh, using uh, the native Cormel like uh, library model format, uh, and that allows it to run natively on Apple Silicon, which gives you some uh, great performance. So this is not going to be possible for Clarity for any of these like GPT three language models, which are absolutely massive. They require like dozens of gigabytes of RAM to fully run. Uh, and that's not something you're going to run locally. Um, might be something you can run on your like M1 Ultra uh, with maximum RAM, but definitely not on your iPhone. Um, yeah. But there is a completely different kind of model, um, which uh, we can call a generative model. And Spencer gave a sneak peek at one of these uh, mm-hmm. called Dolly 2. And what Dolly does is it will take words that you give it, and it will generate an image 
out of nothing, um, or I guess out of those words. Um, and it will try to comprehend what you were getting at um, by drawing like some uh, similarities with its ginormous corpus of uh, data that it had previously. Um, so this is a model that can absolutely run on your phone. Um, and uh, it can do some very cool things like uh, show you a picture of an astronaut koala uh, riding a bicycle. Like you would need like a superb artist to give you that interpretation. <laughs> uh, but this can just like go ahead and give you six versions of it and be like, hey, which one do you like? Um, and that is like a really cool capability, even if most of them end up being like garbage, depending on like what you didn't give it. It's like, oh, if I specify that it should be on a grassy plane, then all of a sudden the picture is like totally much better. Um, but if I didn't specify that, then it's like, no. Um, so it takes a lot to like train yourself to like give it good prompts to generate stuff. Um, but uh, that was all through OpenAI's API, basically. Um, and there's a different model called Stable Diffusion, which uh, came out that allows you to do this. Like, it's an open source model, so you can just download it um, or download the weights more accurately. So the model is one thing. It tells you where all the if branches are, basically. Um, and then the weights give you the probabilities that you're going to choose one branch or the other given a certain input. Um, and you can train the weights to do different things. Like if you want to have an isometric model, like I saw someone trained an isometric, uh, stable diffusion model that gives you like 2d video game isometric style, uh, output based on whatever input you have. Um, so, uh, you can go ahead since this is open source and retrain it according to whatever you want. And you have slightly different, uh, numbers to plug into the model basically. Um, and uh, Apple basically uh, had a uh, blog post on their machine learning blog about how you can do this for Apple Silicon, and they provide um, a GitHub repo with a like Python script that will convert the stable diffusion models into CoreML models. And importantly, it will convert them into two-stage models if you wanted to run it on your um, iPhone or iPad. Uh, these are still ginormous models. Like you would have to download these. They they are multiple gigabytes in size, kind of thing, and they require multiple gigabytes of memory. Hence, splitting it up into two models. But it becomes something that you can run in less than a minute uh, to generate like a full image of whatever you want. Um, and this is where things get really exciting because that means that you, as an app developer, can start to incorporate this into whatever you're building. Um, and although it's not necessarily like super instantaneous and fast, um, it is something that you can like start integrating into your app, uh, to great effect. Yeah, no, I think this is really cool. And I'm, I'm excited to see where app developers, uh, developers will take it and kind of how they integrate it. Um, I, like you said, it's, it's large. So I don't know if it's something that like, I, I'd love to mess around with it. I I don't know how practical it is to like include in like any app, but like as an example, can we talk about the app you're working on and how you've used Dolly? Yeah, so uh, there's an app and service that I'm working on. It's called Tome, and you can check it out at tome.app. Um, and we have a it's let me give you a quick rundown of what it is. Um, so this is kind of a storytelling tool uh, for the next generation of devices. So basically it's kind of like PowerPoint where you can tell a story through 
like multiple slides, except instead of being constrained to the size of a slide, you have something more uh, flexible and something that can be relayed out for mobile and stuff like that. Um, and on each of these pages that you have, so you can have multiple pages, you can drag in these tiles and they auto uh, kind of orient themselves to give you something that's visually pleasing. Um, now, one problem with wanting to tell stories, you can oftentimes come up with the words, but then you have nothing to illustrate like what you just yeah. came up with. Uh, so we unveiled a dolly tile uh, that allows you to type in a prompt and then you can get an image to illustrate exactly what you're trying to talk about. Um, so if you want to give this a try, it's totally free. Um, so you can go to tome.app, make an account. Uh, and then anytime you want to like make a presentation, you want to have some fun imagery to illustrate that, you can just type in a prompt. You get four options. You can choose among them. Uh, it's all saved in a history. So you can try a different prompt and see if that one uh, is any better. So unlike... Uh, Giphy and Slack, which is like, oh, I don't like that one. And you get to the next one, you're like, yeah, the proof's <laughs> yeah. better, but you're never getting it yeah. again. Uh, you totally have a history <laughs> that you can fall back on, which is like the A plus feature of that. Um, but yeah, this gives you an ability to kind of uh, see the bigger picture as a whole. Um, and I would encourage, as I said before, everyone to give it a try because you can get some really cool output out of this. Um, so that's how you can go ahead and use something like this uh, to great effect. Of course, you end up having to have like a whole product that like this is just a small part of that greatly yeah. accentuates it. But um, like on its own, it's a little less useful, um, but it is a useful tool. Yeah. Okay. So like it just got me thinking of like go, <laughs> going back to like elementary school or like junior high school where you'd like write an essay, but then you'd like pull up clip art in Microsoft Word and like throw in, you know, you'd search for something. It's kind of like that, but you can make whatever you want. And so like in that sense, that's a, I think a perfect example of the way that you can use these generated images to sort of enhance whatever you're trying to make. In this case, sort of a story presentation type thing. Um, it would be cool. I, you know, my first thought was like, making some sort of header background image or something based on whatever the user wants. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to think of like a good example of like when it would be used. I would love to put it in an app. I just, I don't know, but I think mm -hmm. people will come up with some really cool ideas for it. So, I mean, uh, you can they, ask chat GPT, <laughs> how would you use Dolly in an app? And maybe it can give you some great examples. Should we do it? I've got Go it for it. Yeah, let's okay. do it live. Okay. Okay. So, uh, audience, we are we are asking Chat GPT, which we just talked about. Uh, how can we use, or what's the prompt that you're going to use? Since I guess you so use this say, a little bit how more. How can than I, I use doll or uh, uh, dolly? I'm gonna make sure I spell it right. D a l l e dash e, or d a l l dash e. L dash e. So, uh, uh, generated images in an app or ios app or in an ios app okay here we go oh <laughs> it's it's telling me to use a web view to display the images in an app with an wk web view <laughs> <laughs> okay um so let's see. case I'll in say... point how things can fall apart or get rid of ios maybe 
I'll say, how can I like integrate them? Or, well, that'll probably give me the same thing. Let me see. Yep, it's telling me how to do it now in bullet points. And, oh, it's generating some code for me. Um, oh. Yeah, okay. Um, let's see. I don't know. I don't know if that's a great way of doing it. I don't, yeah, I don't know what to ask it. So you definitely have to massage point it. To, to what we said earlier, uh, this is a tool, it's not perfect. Um, and oftentimes intentions don't align with how we like spell them out, uh, and misunderstandings are abound, I would say. Yeah, you, you definitely have to like, and Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I've heard of people that are like selling their prompts for AI gem image generation because they've some, you know, figured out the secret sauce to make the AI generate great images. It's that kind of thing where you need Include to include the word like... 4K. That just makes them all better. It doesn't make them 4K, <laughs> but it makes them better. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, like there's definitely these tips and tricks that people are going to figure out in order to sort of uh, guide the model into what you're looking for. Um, in this case, it spat out code for me both times, which, I mean, that's cool. It, it definitely wrote it in like Swift. Uh, it's probably not what most people want. So you definitely kind of have to massage it. It's, I think, another level of like learning how to Google things and being good at Googling, mm -hmm. being good at writing prompts for whatever it is, a, g image generation or, in this case, the... Uh, the GPT chat. Yeah. Um, so going back to the stable diffusion, uh, as I mentioned, Apple has a GitHub repo uh, that they link to in their blog post uh, that basically has the, all the tools that you need to like get this running on uh, both a Mac or an iPhone and iPad. Um, and they have some pretty like good like performance numbers to share with this. So Stable Diffusion 2 just came out, which is a much improved version over the original. And it's, I think, a little bit smaller and much faster. Um, and to give you an idea of like how fast this can be on an M2 MacBook Air uh, to generate an image, like over 50 iterations. And what I mean by these iterations is if you watch these things happen live, it starts with nothing, like just a blank canvas. And then That's all of a sudden so there's cool. a bunch of noise. And you're like, I don't see how any of this can be anything. And then little by little, it just adds a little bit more noise and adds a little bit more noise and adds a bit, a little bit more noise. And then out of nowhere, you now have an astronaut on a horse that's like riding through space. Um, so and cool, it's just like, doesn't make sense how it got to that point. But just little by little, just by iterating on it, it can get to that, um, that point. Um, so to do this on an M2 MacBook Air, it takes about 18 seconds to go through 50 times to give you a, a reasonably good image. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, so uh, it's very fancy. It's very responsive. Like, you can watch this process happen. You're not starting with, like, nothing, and then you wait 18 seconds, and you have something. You can definitely show some progress. So um, it's not like those 18 seconds are poorly spent. Um, on an iPad, it takes about 30 seconds. Uh, and on an M1 Ultra, like fully specced out, it takes about nine seconds. So that should give nice. you like a good range to think about. 
Um, Dolly is faster. I will admit to that. It takes about five to ten seconds to give you like four things. Uh, and that's because they're running on supercomputers, which you do not yeah. have access to. Uh, maybe when Apple has the M1 or M2 Extreme, uh, that will be it. the point in time where we do have those supercomputers at our disposal. Um, this <laughs> might be one of the reasons why Apple just has this uh, this GitHub repo that just comes out of nowhere um, to fully like show off the power of Apple Silicon. Uh, and they might be like, hey, yeah, we can double the neural engines. Why not? Um, and that gives us like suddenly much better performance. Or maybe they make the neural engine more characteristic to the types of operations that stable diffusion is doing and then all of a sudden stable diffusion is really really fast on apple silicon so those are the kinds of things that apple in control of its destiny can really like do anything it wants um so uh that's that's where i'm mostly excited i would say for all this um it's that uh we are getting access to these tools and they're no longer really isolated to like these specific companies with supercomputers to be able to do like yeah. GPT still need a supercomputer to simulate a uh, human level of intelligence. It turns out who to thunk. Um, <laughs> but uh, for like making images out of nothing, you can totally run an iPhone. And like, I think this requires a semi recent iPhone, uh, but that doesn't mean that people haven't gotten working on older iPhones. Uh, yeah. So that is something that, is totally possible um and it's just a matter of time before it becomes ubiquitous um for all to to start like trying out yeah um i forgot to mention and this is maybe going on to actual uses for uh stable diffusion um in the blog post from apple it says beyond image generation from text prompts developers are also discovering other creative uses for it such as uh, image editing, in-painting and out-painting, super resolution, uh, style transfer, even color palette generation. So they're massaging this model, I suppose, in a way to... Uh, like, out-painting is super cool. Like, just tell the AI, oh, get rid of the stop sign so my picture can be more beautiful. And it's like, okay, cool. I'll do that. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, that's cool that you're able to, I suppose, provide... Uh, image input rather or maybe alongside text prompts yeah so not yet with this something. library so this oh, okay. library that apple provides it's strictly text input image output um however stable diffusion absolutely does support like in painting and out painting and what those things are uh, let's start with out painting because that's the easiest to kind of visualize uh you have an image and you want more of an image to the left and more of the image to the right like say you have oh, my screen my that you're looking at right now, and you see most of this TV on my left-hand side, uh, and you say, hey, I want to see the rest of the scene. Like, continue it, please. And it will just draw the rest of the TV. Or it might draw complete nonsense because it's, like, misguessed what the TV was. Um, mm -hmm. So, like, it's it doesn't really know, but you can guide it with more prompt. You can say, like, hey, um, the TV uh, is on the backdrop of a colorful wall, and then all of a sudden my wall will transition to... A more colorful like <laughs> yeah. extension so this part will be the same and then the new image that you can't see off screen where my hand is uh that will be something really colorful because you told it you wanted something colorful um so that's what out painting is in painting is what you described spencer where you basically oh, say okay. like hey 
Uh, it's great that Dimitri has orange headphones on, but let's make them yellow so you can just draw over my headphones and you can say a uh, person wearing yellow headphones and then all of a sudden my headphones will be yellow or they might be completely different headphones. So like, it'll just invent it. You can say like a person wearing a sombrero uh, and then my headphones will turn into a sombrero. It'll just, <laughs> it'll just work. And that's where I think all these tools really become powerful is because it lets you take that nonsense image that the AI originally gave you and then you can iterate on it and make it exactly the image that you wanted it to be. Because you can visualize something in your head, or maybe you didn't visualize anything yet. Um, so this gives you like the first step of inspiration. Then you're like, oh, this is almost perfect, except for whatever reason, there's some text here. That does not make any sense. You can say, like, okay, make this blue, uh, and it'll yep. make it blue. Um, or you can say, like, change out the sex and put a flying saucer in place, and that will extend, like deliver my point more accurately. Um, so... Those are the kinds of things that you can do with these models. Um, and that's where like, it becomes really, really powerful. But most tools are not there yet. Um, it takes a lot more effort to kind of get all that functionality. Gotcha. Thanks for the clarification, too. Um, in painting versus out painting. I... Yeah, it's, it's a whole new world with lots <laughs> of new terms. <clears throat> I think super resolution is probably the clearest one. It just... Like, let's increase the resolution. Um, and yeah. one use of that is a lot of the output of these models is very small. Like, Stable Diffusion, uh, the first version is just 512 pixels. Um, so, can't really do much with that in today's world of uh, retina displays. Um, so, you can use a super resolution model to take that 512 and make it 2048, for instance. And then, all of a yeah. sudden, you have a huge increase in resolution that doesn't just make it more blurry. It actually adds detail along the way. Um, and that can That's that can nuts. do a lot. So I, I can definitely see OpenAI and Stable Diffusion kind of taking uh, taking the, the gold gauntlet away from Google with TensorFlow. <laughs> with all of this, uh, like, the mm -hmm. latest stuff that's coming out, it seems like TensorFlow is a whole lot impre less impressive uh, compared to what it was originally doing. Um, so, uh, it's really cool, um, how, how these companies are building things that are going to end up being very useful in the future. Um, it just, it's going to depend on how they get used, right? I, I can't stop not being like super, uh, optimistic or being pessimistic about all this because yeah. like at a certain point this can be misused and it will be misused, right? There's be. no way around that. Um, so it just depends on how we, how we use it and how we train ourselves to navigate a world where this is just rampant, right? Yep. Agreed. Yeah. That said, the, my favorite way this is misused is I think there's a YouTube channel called Nile Green. Um, and if you've yeah. ever watched, <laughs> um, if you've ever watched, uh, the YouTube channel Nile Red and the associated channel Nile Blue, uh, this is a chemistry channel where a guy... Uh, basically does some really interesting chemistry experiments like turning mm -hmm. um, what was it uh, rubber gloves into sugar or something um, yeah into like grape soda or something yeah grape soda um, so uh, that those are like some of the more interesting ones but then uh, now green will go ahead and take that and just like throw nonsense at it with like compute completely generated so audio and stuff like that um, and it's funny because it's satire, right? And it's clearly satire. 
but that's a fine line between someone just presenting it as reality, which is yeah. like uh, a completely different story that you can get out of it. So um, it's just like when someone takes the onion too seriously. Uh, that's like when the onion, <laughs> yes. in fact, has failed. Like, yes, they've succeeded in like being the complete troll that uh, they're really not trying to be. They're trying to be a satir, a satirical news outlet to like poke fun at the world. Uh, but if someone takes that as reality, then they failed, right? Um, because yeah. now that they're they're presenting themselves as falsehoods rather than as satire, so that's like the really fine line that uh, all of this, all of these tooling needs to think about. Um, but little by little, I think we're getting there. Yep, agreed. So on the topic of a pro, of uh, Apple's processors getting more powerful over time and potentially like going into um more of like a neural engine type focus we don't really know much of that uh but we do know that the m2 max has potentially been leaked performance wise yeah kind of an interesting leak and i assume that this is fairly um like in the development stage of the the M2 Max, I wouldn't necessarily take it as better or worse performance per se. Although I'd probably lean on the side of being perhaps worse performance than it will actually end up being. But that's just kind of my speculation. But um, yeah, Geekbench uh, sort of score. Um, I don't know if it leaked or it was just released or you know they forgot to mark it as private. Um, single score. Single core score of 1853, where uh, as a comparison, my work MacBook Pro with an M1 M1 Max, I uh, got 1780, so uh, a little bit less than a hundred point increase there. Um, Multi core score of 13,855, where mine got uh, 12,435, so uh, 1400 points there. Um, I think an interesting thing though is that. Uh, in the memory, it says it has 96 gigabytes of, of memory, which is pretty big. Uh, that's, uh, let's see, what do I have? 64, I think. Let me see. Is that the max on? Yeah, I yes, think 64, I 64 is the max. Yeah. Uh, no, it's 32 so, on the Pro, 64 on the max. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I have 64. So quite an increase in uh, memory. So uh, I, I don't remember what the m1 or sorry the m2's max memory was was it 20 gigabytes it, i felt like it was something random yeah i think it's by the same like proportion right so if you go from 64 yeah. to 96 uh then if you go from 16 so like 24 yeah something like that 24 anyway the memory increase is fairly large and that's that's super cool um I think the the thing for me about all of this, including like the M1 to the M2, is when the M2 got released, aside from, uh, I think I've talked about this before, aside from the color of the new MacBook Air being blue, I felt no desire to upgrade. Like, it felt fairly incremental, which is fine because the performance is still fantastic for all of these M1, these Apple Silicon devices, but... I think it's going to be more of a traditional sort of incremental increase in performance overall between 
M series generations than like the Intel to Apple Silicon transition was because that was huge. And we're all stoked about it. But now we've made that jump and we're sort of at the point where it's just going to be like uh, shrinking the uh, transistor count or sorry, shr shrinking the transistor size um, and increasing count uh, and, you know, power efficiency uh, sort of as a result. But we're sort of at the point where Aside from that and architecture uh, improvements, it, there's not going to be like a huge jump, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there's a minor jump in like core count, um, as you mentioned. There's a pretty significant jump in memory. Um, so yeah. I think the M2 MacBook Air, like you mentioned, is does uh, cap out at 24 uh, gigabytes. Um, and if we can extrapolate between this and the 96 for the Max then I would say that the Pro would probably cap out at 48 uh, gigabytes, and then the Ultra would cap out at 192 gigabytes, which means that the Extreme uh, would probably cap out at 384 if you continue doubling <laughs> the, whole, yeah, the whole way right, through. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's, that's like the directly uh, integrated RAM. That's not the potential like expansion RAM uh, that you can go ahead and have. Gosh, remember those days when you could have expansion RAM? Um, yeah. But yeah, this is absolutely uh, an internal build. It's running macOS 13.2, uh, which has not been released yet as far as I'm concerned, or I know, right? Yeah. Currently, we are on 13.01. Yep, that's right. As like the latest. Um, so absolutely room for for something like this to to leak out of Apple accidentally, especially if someone went and clicked on something that they shouldn't have, uh, which they did. Um, and therefore we have it to poke around at. So uh, really excited for something uh, for this to kind of make its way uh, out. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. There in this Twitter thread, there are a couple more uh, scores that score higher from apparently the same same processor i don't know if it's the exact same computer but one that gets up to 14,586 um as opposed to the 13,855 so there's improvements for sure i'm just not sure if i would necessarily need it at least for my own personal computer i don't know for work they might buy it and that's great but um yeah, I mean, I guess the moral of the story is Apple Silicon is awesome, and it's improving for sure. And basically, no matter what you buy, you'll probably be happy with it as like an end user. For a developer, a little more nuanced for sure. And, you know, I know Dimitri's going to definitely welcome the, the 390-whatever gigabytes of memory when it comes out. And maybe he won't use Swap then. We'll see. Uh, one day. <laughs> one day. Safari, so, yeah. you will be at my command one day. <laughs> one day. So yeah, yeah. The my my latest uh, gripes with Safari is it's uh, running out of space, and I'm like running out of space. I have plenty of space, but then it turns out space in this case is RAM. Um, and on my laptop, 64 gigabytes is apparently not enough for a uh, good old Safari running uh, a bajillion web applications all in different windows. Turns out. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't like this new world where everything is, it's a known process and it's not like doing anything efficient. It's probably has nothing to do with that and more with everyone building like full, like 
desktop quality apps as web browser like yeah. websites and therefore yeah. if you have any amount of them open then it just gobbles more and more like space but yeah like safari i'm totally fine with you like freezing uh that tab and just like putting in the background yeah. if it's not frontmost and then just like give all the abilities to the frontmost tab please um but we aren't there obviously um which is sad yeah um, i was yeah. oh sorry no uh i was gonna say i was using my mom's laptop the other day uh trying to help her with something she has an m1 macbook air with eight gigs of of ram and she for work she has a bunch of tabs open and they were all minimized into the dock in safari i was like oh i wonder if she's using swap and she definitely was but it you know in safari it'll pull up like a per process like per tab process each one of those is taking up 300 megabytes and i was like holy crap dude and uh her dock was so small because it like the mm -hmm. applications took up about this much space and the tabs took up took up this much space in the dock i mean she had a lot of tabs but it just goes to show you're right like they're just sitting there kind of just eating memory not being used so kind of interesting I'm yeah sure and it's that, but it, it's it definitely not swapped memory too it's like this is active like hardwired up memory um and you get to a point where just like the system runs out and it feels weird saying your system is running out of memory in a world where one we have like advanced multiprocessing and uh, sixty four <laughs> yeah. gigabytes, but it totally happens, and it's absolutely made worse by running like Xcode with one simulator, sometimes two. If you ever run a test, now you have a second simulator up, um, and that's using a whole OS's worth of memory. Um, and then Safari just can't keep up. It's the it's the limiting factor. It's like, hey, I want just a little bit more, but then it can't get it. And then you're like, okay, I'll quit TextMate. Uh, and then Safari's like, oh, I have enough. I can display this page now. Um, <laughs> just barely. Yeah, just barely. Um, so there's that side of things. And then there's a separate side of things where uh, now, uh, at least on the latest versions of Ventura, I did not see this on whatever the previous version of macOS was. I'm losing track these days. Uh, yes. But uh, it would open up a window, and that window would be black. Like, it was fully functional but it was black. And then you oh. had to like find a different window to close to like make available the, the, the GPU resources to like render that texture. Oh. I don't know what was going on, but um, yeah, I run into this like weekly until I restart. And then and that stops happening for a little bit. And then eventually I have enough windows open again because I'm like clicking links and stuff and not really paying attention because I'm working on something. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, the black window's back. I guess I have to go through all my windows and start closing the ones I don't need anymore. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I dread computers nowadays, and I look forward to my future as a farmer or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, at the moment, my computers are not working well for me. Um, and I sincerely hope everyone at Apple knows that these things are happening so that we can fix them. Uh, because yeah. they're pretty egregious um so yeah maybe making mac os behave like ios where only a single thing is on screen at a time was a mistake i don't know yeah it's funny um, how well I, at least for me it's funny how well safari works on my phone and i never close tabs on there ever i just have hundreds of tabs in safari and it works fine 
because it's only doing one thing at a time. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the iPad, it's there's a other funny bug. I don't know if you use those new tab group things, um, no. where it like saves. So I I got used to using them because it turns out they're pretty good. Um, it, it basically it can save a whole bunch of tabs as like a group, and then you can switch between these groups and like things work really well and you can use those groups on the Mac and that turns out to be quite useful. However, sometimes you're in one of those groups and you type something uh, in a, the URL box and you get to a website and you click submit on something and then just reload the tab because it didn't know that you submitted something and it's like really confused about syncing state up. Um, so you can never make progress logging in or something silly uh, in that regard. So that's like an interest, another interesting bug that hmm. comes up. Uh, with that but in any case moving the pessimism aside uh optimism what do you think this computer is this mac 14.6 or 14.6 new mac yeah. pros new mac studio new iMac. i think it's probably a new macbook pro would be my guess it kind of seems like that's i would assume that's their largest money maker is mm-hmm. the macbook pro um it would be really cool to see an iMac Pro, and I wonder if that could be something that they release this this uh, M2 generation uh, second, whatever. Yeah, because um, we're uh, do they still sell the iMac Pro? Don't think it's so. gone. I think it's just gone. They just don't. Can confirm it is just gone. So. We've got the 24-inch iMac. Um, maybe they make a 27 with the I'm, uh, the M2 Pro. Um, and then like an iMac Pro with the Max and Ultra, maybe. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of cool. Well, um, Mac Minis, but too. I would... completely forgot about those. Oh, yes. Mac Minis. They could definitely do with a Pro. Right. I think that yeah. would be... And then leave the, the Ultra for the Max and the Studio. Or, the sorry, the Studio for the with the Max and Ultra. Um and yeah, I don't know. I I'd, I'd assume it's a MacBook though. Just a hunch. Yeah, I I would say that makes sense. Um, I would really welcome a, a new Mac Mini with like a, a at least a Pro, probably even a Max. Like I don't see why a Max could not fit in there. Um, especially yeah. if you don't care like where it's going and if it makes a little fan noise. Um, then like let the fan be on. Uh, just because the Ultra has a fan that does not change speeds does not mean the Mini does, has to as well, right? Um, different right. use cases. So if if uh, Apple wants to consider that, I'd say go for it. I'd say also, like, if they wanted to make a uh, thing that can fit in a server rack, like an X-Serve or something like that, um, with M1 Ultras cool. in it, that'd be super cool. Um, so, yeah. like, Apple... Like, consider it. Maybe just put, like, five Ultras in there. Just do it. Um, take up the same amount of space as a bunch of Mac Minis just with, like, a a nice corridor of air flow. Um, And you can have supercomputers that can rival Dolly's image processing, for instance. And that'd be really, really powerful uh, for a lot of use cases. Um, And it would really show off uh, Apple Silicon. Um, However, it would also show off the poor... Uh, behavior of macOS Ventura when running for more than a few days. So get on that. Um, I guess I don't know. Uh, it's it's your roadmap, I guess. Uh, but hardware division doing great. Software division not so much. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they can like use synergy or something to to make things work out in their favor. 
This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Hungry. Hungry, that's Hungry with three U's, is the iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch app you turn to when you really want to eat, but are blinded by the multitude of choices available to you and your insatiable hunger. Hungry isn't here to help you discover new restaurants or flavors. No, it has a much more humble purpose. You tell it all about your favorite restaurants, and it will deploy its cryptographically advanced random number generator, invoked by shaking your phone in frustration, to make the decision of what to eat for you. Stuck at home and sick of ordering pizza? Use Hungry. Did Hungry just suggest pizza again? Don't fret, as other options for another cuisine, a cheaper option, something closer, or simply another restaurant are just a button away. Hungry also comes with a collection of fun animated iMessage stickers so you can share your hunger with others. Thanks again to Hungry for sponsoring our show. Search for Hungry, that's H-U-U-U-N-G-R-Y, on the App Store today to give it a try. So, Spencer, I've got a code completion tip for you. Um, you've heard of mutating functions, correct? This is a function yeah. that you put the mutating keyword in front of. Um, and quick recap for the audience. When are these useful? Uh, or, dude, I've been on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, side note, I, I noticed my key, like my fingers feel really slow when typing. <laughs> I haven't typed anything for two weeks, so it's been interesting. Um, uh, mutate like whenever you want to uh, change something about the struct with like if you have the mutating function in a struct, you want to change something about the struct within the function. You set it as mutating. Exactly. Um, now uh, Christian Teets, uh, which is another developer who has a blog, you should absolutely follow him. It's linked in the description below. Uh, had an assumption that I'm assuming a lot of people have as well. If you have a function, you mark it with mutating, but it's not actually messing with any of the properties, it would just behave like an absolutely normal function, right? Um, that's a completely reasonable assumption to have. And I had that same assumption, um, which was why I was surprised to learn that, hey, if you put mutating on that function, it actually does have a side effect. Um, and that side effect might be something that can be really powerful depending on what your needs are. So for instance, let's take um, a struct, okay, um, and it has an internal property that is a reference type. It's a class object or something like that. So you don't need mutating to mess with that class's properties because your structure is not actually changing memory-wise. It's just changing what is uh, available wherever that uh, property is pointing to, right? That makes sense so far? Yes. So at that point, you don't need mutating on your function. So why would you want it? Well, if you had another like part of code that had a did set observer for that struct, if you don't have mutating, that did set is not going to be called whenever that function is called. Uh, and mm -hmm. therefore, you're not going to know that something changed because, heck, the, the struct didn't change. So, so far, so good. But maybe sometimes you do want to know when the struct gets updated and updated in this means in this case means mutated. So you can mark your function with mutating. And that means that anywhere you are observing that struct, so you have say var uh, my property of type struct, and then in the curly quotes you have a did set, that did set will be called whenever your mutating function is called. Um, and that can serve as an indicator that you want something side effects to happen. Um, and this uh -huh. is especially useful when that internal property of the struct, uh, maybe the struct is wrapping a reference type, for instance, it's boxing it. 
maybe that can be the opportunity for that struct to mark itself as mutated so that way all those observers can go ahead and fire and do something so for instance refresh the ui um, mm-hmm. or trigger swift ui to do something so all those different scenarios can now happen because you've marked that function with mutating even though it's not actually mutating anything internal to the struct it's mutating something at a pointer location that's crazy okay that's really cool so yeah fun side effect i just learned this uh, a few days ago, so I figured it would be a good one to share for this week's yeah. code completion tip. So for today's mini review corner, I actually have a trifecta of things to share. Um, and this all uh, started because um, I use my iPad heavily in bed. Uh, and iPads need charging, especially if you use them all day for Zoom calls, which I do because I don't want to put Zoom on my computer. Um, and if you have the fancy case, they actually have two charging spots. They have this one and they have this one. So the main one on the iPad body and then the one on the keyboard case on the other side. So this is actually very useful. And this is what I use for a long time. Uh, because if you're lying in bed, you can just like use the iPad on your chest or whatever. Um, but then you turn to your right side and now the plug sticking out of, uh, the body of the iPad is now in the way of your pillow or something. Um, so that's something that you might want to like adjust for. So you unplug the plug from there and you plug it onto the other side and now it's right. coming out the top. So that's all good. But then you want to like turn around and go on your left side and now it's the same problem and you have to switch it over. Um, so that was a problem for, oops, that was a problem for many months. Um, and it was made worse by the fact that I got a new iPad and that new iPad was not happy with whatever charger cable I had, which was long enough to like, switch sides and i had this very long one meter uh cable connected to uh the little charger that comes with the ipad and that was the only thing fast enough to charge the ipad while i was using it otherwise mm-hmm. this ipad would slowly drain um as i was using it throughout the night um until i stopped using it and therefore it would start charging back up um so that was not ideal uh so i wanted to fix that and i needed a few things to fix a few different um problems so the first one uh, was the lying on my side problem. Uh, and these come as a four pack in this nice little pouch, uh, but they are right angled USB-C adapters. Oh, um, nice. So to give you kind of a, a little, uh, view closer to the camera, uh, this is mm-hmm. just a little right angle so you can attach it to your iPad. So that way when you close the iPad, it just like closes facing upwards. It's a little silly in that regard, but you can face it down on your pillow and it will like not damage the port and like bend it physically, which happened to my other one because every now and then you're you fall asleep and then you turn and then ruin port. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is a nice little ninety degree adapter. I think they cost like ten bucks for four of them. Uh, so absolutely a plus there. I'll leave a link in the description because I don't think you're gonna get far searching for a UVI pal, uh, whatever that means. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, there's not much to go on from this little uh, thing. So I'll leave a link so you can find that exact same thing. They have a few other different like configurations if you want the L bracket that um, was common with like MagSafe adapters up until mm. MagSafe 3. That's uh, where that can come in. Uh, so that was thing number one. Uh, thing number two uh, is this Satechi. Uh, I don't know if this is like Japanese inspired, so it's Satechi. Uh, is what I would say if I were to say it that way. 
Um, and this is a, a four-port uh, gallium nitrate, whatever they're called, uh, GAN uh, power delivery, uh, like, I don't know what you call these, uh, power supplies. Um, and it has four USB-C ports, which is like the first of its kind, I would say. There's a few others. There's like I Am Green that makes these kinds of things as well. Um, but everyone that I've seen up until this one came out, uh, had like, this is the fast port and then this is the second fast port and then this is, these are the slow ports. Like you have to know which port. This one doesn't really seem to care. It's like, hey, if you're only using one thing, they're all fast. Uh, if you're using nice. two things, then you have one fast and you have one slow. If you're using three things, this is the combination. So it kind of divides it that way. Um, and I think that works for the most part. So even if you have like a computer and then two iPhones, the computer is going to charge slower because you have two other devices plugged into it. But that's better than, oh, the iPhone has to go in this port and then the computer has to go in this port. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I did not open this one, and I did not open it yet because I bought three of these. I bought one for each side of the bedside uh, because like it's convenient for me to have ports, and it's convenient for Lynn to have ports. Um, and then I bought one for the couch. Uh, so if you haven't done this before, bury one of these things somewhere in your couch where it's not going to overheat, like giant asterisk. Yeah. Um, but like my couch is very modular, so it has big empty spaces where I can put these things. Um, and then you can bury the cables between the couch cushions and then anytime you want, just pull one up and you have a nice, uh, a nice little charger, uh, at your disposal. And because this supports up to 165 Watts, I think it's powerful enough to charge your MacBook Pro and your iPad and your iPhone. Um, and it's pretty darn tiny. Um, so this is the whole thing. Uh, so like great for stuffing somewhere in the case of our bedside tables we have these old uh kind of tiny little cubbies where we have all the cables stuffed away um so i have one of these um on my side this one's for one side i had i didn't put it in yet um and all the cables kind of snake away behind the bed and we can just use them um they are great if you have if you ever do any traveling have one of these in your travel like kit because then you have one plug to use that one limited outlet in the hotel room uh, and then you have like your uh, octopus tentacles of like four USB-C things coming out of it. Um, and that can go ahead and be great for uh, traveling because then you have the one thing that can charge all things. So um, the one next to my bedside has now the iPad plugged into it and uh, my Apple Watch charger, which uses fast charging, which my old uh, Anchor 10 port USB-A uh, thingamajig just can't support because the fast charging is on USB-C. So along with that, I got a fancy pack of uh, new anchor cables. Uh, So these are 100 watt rated. Um, I wouldn't trust just any cables. I happen to trust anchor because they've been doing it for quite a while and I haven't seen anything burn down uh, based on what they made. Uh, But yeah, do keep that in mind. 100 watts is a lot of power. Um, So get 100 watt rated cables for something like this, especially if you plan on uh, not thinking too much and being like, hey, any of these would work for my laptop. And then you plug in the shitty cable and it burns down your couch. Uh, so uh, that's something that you do need to think about. Um, but these are two meter cables. They're nice and black. They're different color than any of the other ones, uh, which were like slightly grayish, uh, which helps differentiate them, which is kind of neat. Um, so, um, yeah, power is negotiated between the device and the thing. Right. It's not up to the cable. So 
Uh, if the device can't like support 100 watts, then your old cable is probably fine for that. Uh, but if it absolutely can on both sides, then get some good cables. Otherwise, you might accidentally burn down uh, your house. But um, I am now looking forward to Apple <laughs> ditching Lightning uh, because I am like 100% in the USB-C world. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, on that note, uh, uh, Linus Tech Tips, uh, a YouTube um, channel that has a whole bunch of more computery uh, type content, but yeah. uh, they had a very interesting video a few weeks ago where they uh, outlined how to get USB-C power going to oh, anything, yeah. uh, including like a Nintendo 64. Um, and so that cool. one was a little more complicated, but if you are just talking about like the NES and stuff like that, they're like pre-made cables that go to barrel jacks. Um, and then you're like good to go. The only problem is as you like turn on other consoles, it renegotiates the speed. Um, or maybe not turning on the consoles because they're kind of the, at least the power supply is always on. Um, but I think it's when you plug another cable. Yeah. In. When you plug it in, uh, that disconnects everything and you like lose everything, which is, uh, the end of the world for those kinds of devices because they don't have any like any save, save. states at all. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of like, hey, keep this on as long as you want if you want to save your level, uh, but don't ever turn it off. Um, <laughs> not to mention, like, I, I assume, I guess RAM corruption is probably not a thing because the the blocks for RAM are like so large they can't be influenced by stray like particles from the atmosphere. Maybe. I did see a video one time of, um, I think it was a Mario 64 speedrun that there was like some ramp corruption and he like jumped super high or something. I'll, I'll have to find that video. I don't know about like an NES though. Yeah, so uh, long story short, uh, it turns out space can uh, mess with your devices uh, just by like being there. Um, and it's just random. And the more memory you have, the higher chances happens. Uh, and the denser your memory is, the higher chances happens as well. Um, so older devices are, are kind of immune because they use like uh, RAM from the the Ice Age, uh, which has like big giant blocks that are made of multi million amounts of electrons and stuff like that. They're absolutely not influenced by one stray particle. Whereas nowadays, like, hey, this one electron means on or off. Uh, so if it gets bounced by some stray particle, then you're kind of done um, and you messed up that part of RAM. Uh, so that does happen. Um, and it happened in an election. Uh, there's like a famous Radiolab uh, episode that talks about that. Um, and I will link to that as well now that I mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, super cool to have USB-C everywhere. Uh, definitely suggest picking up one of these chargers. I happened to grab them on Black Friday, which meant they were 30% off. So maybe wait until next Black Friday. There'll be six port versions. I don't know. Um, but at this point in time, they're they're pretty pricey. They're over 100 bucks. So uh, definitely, definitely something to consider. Very cool. Yeah. I, I <clears throat> brought a, kind of a similar brick type thing for charging all of my stuff but it's definitely not like 196 watts of, of power that's really 165 cool. that oh um less cool. that gallium <laughs> nitride stuff <laughs> about 15 percent less cool um gallium nitride stuff's really cool though it's crazy how small they can make those chargers with the amount of power that they can 
put out. As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at CodeCompletion and on Mastodon at CodeCompletion at Mastodon.social. Uh, I think I was able to get that. Um, we did not post anything there yet, but maybe one day yeah. we will. Um <laughs> Uh, and you can follow us at both of those places to know when new episodes go live. You can get a fun little poem, uh, by yours truly, uh, giving a hint at what we're about to talk about. Uh, and maybe not, maybe it's just me being silly. Um, but if there's any point you want to like influence what we talk about, go ahead and give us a tweet or give us a toot or give us a toot. I don't know what those things yeah, are called. Whatever it is. Uh, if you've ever want to like suggest a topic and we'd be happy to dig into it. Uh, most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your process that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter and on Mastodon. Did you ever get that? Yeah. Cool. And at Mastodon.social. Um for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, both on Twitter and on Mastodon.social. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. Um, I completely forgot to grab titles, and you grabbed one title, so we are using it. Deal. What I would say if I were to say it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Like the nightmare title to capitalize. Can we get a GPT-3 thing that can just capitalize stuff as we type this? Like it just figures out you're typing a title and it's just like, let's capitalize. Okay. I think I got it right. I'm going to see what it will do if if I ask it to capitalize it. Yep. Totally did it. To do it right, that's the question. That's what I would address. Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> no, I know. I'm gonna pull it into a titlecase.com. On one of my computers, I had a a system service like the 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 old style shortcuts. Um, that like anything you highlight, you can just right click and say like capitalize. Um, oh, that's nice. But I don't know how I set that up, and I don't feel like redoing it. That's the problem with customizing your stuff is like you you lose track of them over time and then you like rely on them. It's like, uh, yep, I feel you. Cool. Uh, thanks All for right. listening, everyone. Bye. Bye.